Welcome to the Victory of the Lamb podcast. We are a simple, straightforward Bible teaching church in Katy, Texas. If you are in the area, we'd love for you to stop by anytime. Otherwise, we hope you use this podcast to grow in your faith and be confident in sharing it with many. You can find us online at VOTL.org. We hope you enjoy this message, and God bless your week. The year was 1947. A Bedouin shepherd, off in the middle of absolutely nowhere by the Dead Sea, was chasing a stray goat. He threw a rock to try to get the goat off a ledge when (coughs) he heard a sound like breaking glass. Afraid yet curious, he ran off to find a companion. And then the two of them came back to see what the noise cause was. Turns out, that boy found several hidden caves with several clay jars, some of which had scrolls inside. They took what they had found back home, hung some of the scrolls up on a tent pole while they're trying to figure out what to do, wondering how much they're worth. They didn't know it at the time, but they had just discovered the first installment of the Dead Sea Scrolls, one of the most important discoveries of all time. Scrolls that date back to between 200 B.C. and 100 A.D., authentic copies of the Old Testament, as well as a few other writings not included in the Old Testament. They thought they might sell them to someone. They took it to a few Jerusalem antiquity dealers. The first response they got was, why would we buy that? Those are fake. They probably got stolen out of some synagogue somewhere. Finally, somebody bought them. One guy bought three of them and then gave them to his church. Another guy bought four of them, a scholar. The cost? 28 bucks. Today's money, maybe $300. Probably any of you could have afforded that. One year later, in 1948, the Arab-Israeli war was starting to break out. So the guy that had bought four from the Bethlehem cobbler who had given them to his church went over to the United States and smuggled them there, wanting to sell them. For five years, he tried to sell them unsuccessfully. Nobody wanted them. Not the university, not the scholars, nobody cared. Finally, in 1954, famously, he took out an ad in the Wall Street Journal. For those who aren't familiar with ads in a newspaper, it's kind of like Facebook Marketplace or Craigslist of long ago. That's what people actually used to do when they had a newspaper in their hands. I'm going to read to you what the ad said. I think you'll like it. It was underneath the category miscellaneous items for sale. It read, Biblical manuscripts dating back to 200 B.C. are for sale. This would be an ideal gift to an educational or religious institution by an individual or group. Still, they didn't sell. Finally, The son of the guy who had bought the other three bought those four and then got them back over to Israel. The cost? A little more than 28 bucks. 
$250,000. In 2009, Azusa Pacific University, their religious department, bought just five fragments of one of the scrolls. Fragments, not even a whole scroll, but just a fragment, five of them. Two and a half million dollars. The family of the cobbler who bought those three initial ones before giving them to his church, the son is rumored to have 20, not a whole scroll, but just a fragment. He's got them stored in a box in a Swiss bank somewhere. And a cereal box sized fragment, so maybe about that big, of Genesis rumored to be on the market, you could buy it if you wanted to for $40 million. And if five fragments sell for $2.5 million, and if one cereal box-sized fragment sells for $40 million, how much is the collection of the Israel Antiquity Authority, which has at least 10,000 fragments? You can answer that question in two ways. You could either say it's worth several billion dollars, or you could say it's priceless because it's not for sale. What are these words worth to you? I believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. As you think about how the worth of the Dead Sea Scrolls has changed over time, from being, being something on a tent pole to something in a want ad to something that no one really could afford, what are those words that we say all the time in the creed? Worth. Just as some shepherd boys didn't expect to find anything worth a whole lot when they threw a rock at a goat, that was lost. Some women trudging to a tomb long ago didn't expect to find much worthwhile. They were there because they were loyal friends to Jesus. Many had abandoned him during his darkest hour, but not them. They had followed him to the end. They had watched him die. They had watched him be buried. And there wasn't time to properly put spices on the body. So armed with spices, they trudged to the tomb, planning to take their time, rubbing spices all over the body of Jesus lovingly, the cold, graying skin. It wasn't right, really. It wouldn't be right to say that they were looking forward to it. Because death is ugly. It's painful. We can't sugarcoat it. We can't dress it up. There's no way to say, well, no big deal about death. Because it clearly shows in a way that nothing else can, we are not in control. And we're never going to be in control. We can't stop death from coming. And so as these women trudged to the tomb, they were expecting to run the errand. They'd really rather not run, but they were making the And then a big surprise. 
something they weren't expecting at all. There had been a violent earthquake, and an angel from heaven had come down, rolled away the stone, and now was sitting on it, of all things. But that wasn't the only earthquake of the morning. Another one happened inside the hearts of the guards. The guards were quaking when they saw the angel, and they fell down, becoming like dead men, before running off. Guards who had been placed there at the tomb, not by Jesus' disciples, for fear that someone might rob the grave, but by his enemies, for fear that the disciples would rob the grave and then go bragging to everyone that Jesus had risen when he actually hadn't. That silent spot, the expectation of the silence of the tomb, the silence of taking your time rubbing spices on a cold, lifeless body, the silence of the grave, the silence of the morning became the place and the time for the very first Easter sermon. The angel said, do not be afraid. He is not here. He has risen just as he said. It wasn't a shock to the angel, and it shouldn't have been a shock to anyone else because Jesus had predicted several times in the past month alone, I'm going to suffer, I'm going to die, on the third day I'm going to rise again. He always talked about his death connected with his resurrection. The ladies, it was beginning to dawn on them as they listened to the angel this is the third day since he died. And just as we heard him say a little over a week ago, there in front of Lazarus's tomb, I am the resurrection and the life. That's who he is. He is not here. He is risen. Just as he said. Listen to these powerful words from the very first Easter sermon, Matthew chapter 28. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said, Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. 
Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. He has risen. He is not here just as he said. How much is that worth to you? When we're thinking straight, it's priceless. But our sinful nature gets the best of us, and there's other ways that seem right for now that lead us in a different direction. There's the sin of doubt, where we might, a part of us, say things like those first antiquities dealers in Jerusalem in 1947 when those boys brought the scrolls. That's not real. That didn't really happen. That isn't a factor. Satan wants us to doubt that Easter matters. And that quickly leads into despair. As though Easter is nice for someone else. And the message of Christ risen is great for other folks. But for me, it's more like a scroll that's worth $40 million. I can never pay for it. What good is that going to do me in somebody else's box in a Swiss bank somewhere? Another issue, maybe even closer to home, we face as Christians when we're thinking about Easter is that it's a delayed message. That Easter is something that is precious when I'm about to die or on Judgment Day, but now there's too many things going on. I have too much in my life that's messed up. This is clearly a Good Friday world. Look how broken it is. Look how wrecked it is. What good is Easter going to do me now? It's almost like we live our day-to-day life each day, each week, each month, each year as though Easter is on the tent pole over there while we're trying to figure out what to do with it and some other day we will, but not now. It's not worth much now. What a sad approach. Because then, if you think Easter is just a delayed piece, then you're distracted by the things of this life. Trying to win an argument, trying to make money, trying to create some kind of heaven on earth that won't ever happen. Rushing around, distracted. And then also, while all of that is going on in your mind and heart, disappointed that you didn't create the heaven on earth. Broken and sad because you didn't win the latest thing. Heartbroken because you got the short end of the stick and what now? What next? It's a Good Friday world everywhere I look, including inside my own heart. And Easter is so far off. You see how this precious news of the angel is something that we, on our own sinful self, can deflect as though it's for some other time, for some other day, but, but not today, not now. What a tragedy. Don't let your feelings drive. Instead, let these words drive. He is not here. He has risen just as he said. Continue 
to grasp the scripture, which isn't just for some other day in the future, which isn't just helpful at the end of your life, but there's so much other things that are more important to do now. Grasp that now. He is not here. He is risen just as he said. And because he lives, that means we can be sure. Jesus is true God in control and no one else. He lives. He is risen just as he said. And that means your sin is paid in full. And it's always going to be. Jesus will never be crucified again. He is not here. He is risen just as he said. And that means that heaven is your home. And it's never going to be any different. He is not here. He is risen just as he said. And that means every problem you face is only for a time. What's eternal is your victory in Christ. What's eternal is the ability to always mull over and then see with reality what the angels sound like when they sing to Christ, not just one of them, but all of them. What Jesus looks like in his brilliant Easter garb, something you'll be able to see for all eternity. The beauty of heaven, even more beautiful than the sunrise this morning, which is pretty beautiful if you were outside, and I know you were, as I was. Mull that over instead of mulling over how you can win more or coping with the losses. Mull over the things of heaven. Mull over what Easter gives you. Mull over how these words, I believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting, are priceless. Worth more than 28 bucks. Worth more than putting something on a tent pole. Worth more than 40 million, 250 million, 250 billion. Whatever the number is, it doesn't matter. Easter is worth more. You can't possibly, and I can't possibly, overestimate the value of Easter. This is a Good Friday world, but we are Easter people. We live in the joy of Christ. We live in the peace that passes understanding. We live having the ultimate victory close to our heart now as we look forward to the reality of it coming one day. He is risen. He is risen Get there, stay there, live that, enjoy it for eternity. Amen. Time is precious. Thank you so much for investing some of your time with us today. Could I ask you for one more favor? If you're enjoying this podcast, please don't forget to click subscribe and give us a rating. Just a few seconds of your time will help other people hear the simple, straightforward Bible message we offer. Thank you so much. God bless your day in Christ.